So a few weeks ago, we kicked off the sermon series, Unlikely Heroes, Even Me, where we wanted to take some time to look at some of the most unlikely characters in scripture that God used in extraordinary ways to do his work. People just like you and me. And so we want to understand what God did through these people and really make it relate to our lives so we can be unlikely heroes for the Lord. The first week that we started the series, we looked at Esther. Esther was a, an exiled Jewish orphan who God picked up and placed in the middle of the Persian empire to save his people from extermination. He put her there for a time such as this. And God places us in places as a time such as this. Week two, we studied Jonathan, right? Jonathan modeled for us the, what, a, what a true and faithful friend looks like, right? God called him. He was the rightful heir to the throne. But God said, nope, I'm choosing the shepherd boy, David. But God used Jonathan to protect King David as his father, King Saul, was chasing him around, trying to kill him. And Jonathan put aside his, his anger, disappointment, and bitterment and did what God asked him to do. And today, we're going to consider one of the most beautiful stories in all of Scripture. And we see an unlikely hero in the name of Ruth. So take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ruth. It's in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Okay, we're going to set a little context, and we're going to start by doing that. Chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to start off, I said the first service with five words. It's actually seven. Somebody corrected me. Thank you, um, Chad Bragg. In the days when the judges ruled... Okay, so what were the days of Judges? Well, the days of Judges is the whole book before the book of Ruth. It covers 330 years of dark history, of a dark time for the Israelites. They were in a bad place. They had walked away from God, right? And we know it was such, if we turn and look at the very page before the book of Ruth, one sentence sums up what was going on. Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Okay? They had given up on God. In fact, it was so bad, they even started to take on worshiping the Canaanite God, Baal. So they had turned their back on him. And, and, and what the beautiful part is, is after 330 years of this mess that was going on in Israel, God paints this beautiful picture, this beautiful story that is captured in the book of Ruth, right in the middle of all of this stuff going on. So let's look at the first five verses and kind of sets up everything that happens. Okay, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Aphrodites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, 
Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. So there's a lot going on in this verse, these first five verses. And I don't have time to, to unpack all of it, but let me sum it up this way. We've got a husband named Elimelech, whose name means my God is king. His parents named him after Yahweh, that he is king. He's got a wife, Naomi, who her name means pleasant and lovely. And we've got two sons, Malon and Kilion. Okay, they decide to leave Bethlehem. There's a famine that struck the land and they decide to move on and get away from the famine. But in reality, they're not only escaping the bad conditions, they're also escaping really God's judgment is what they're doing. Now, back then is different than today. Today, when we get sick of the weather in Pittsburgh, we pick up our family, we pick up our stuff and we move to Florida right? We camp out. We don't really lose contact with anybody. We've got cell phones and Facebook and the internet and airplanes and all those things. Well, guys, this was not the fact back in that day, as you can imagine, right? When you left, you were giving up your family. You were giving up your friends. You were giving up your faith. You were giving up everything. When you moved and went to a new location, you were going to take on new friends and new people and new faith and new cultural practices. That stuff all changed. So that is a big deal what's going on in the story. But here's even a more important part. Where did they go? They went to Moab. And why was that so important? Turn left in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23, Verse three, right? We're right in the middle, in this part of Deuteronomy, in the middle of, of God's law, laying out what his people should do. And we see starting in verse three, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, right? What that's saying is, is even if an Ammonite or Moabite comes to believe in Yahweh, they're not even allowed into the assembly, right down to the 10th generation, which basically means forever. For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way, they came up out of Egypt. Jump down to verse six. Do not seek a treaty or friendship with them as long as you live. Now for you guys that know scripture, there is a ton of backstory with going on with the Moabites, a ton of it. But let me sum it up for you like this. They are a bad people who did bad things against the Israelites. And God wanted them to have nothing to do with the Moabites. Game over, end of story, stay away from them. So how did it go for this young family? Well, not so well as we saw in those first verses, right? It just says, Elimelech died. His sons died no fanfare, no account of what happened. So what? We all die, right? Everyone in the Bible dies. But there is a so what? Because you see, in Scripture, death is recorded for two reasons. One, death is recorded to, to kind of highlight or to kind of um, show a life that was well-lived in fear of God. 
Right? You think about the death of King Solomon, the death of King David. Right? They're, they're, they're recorded because they lived a life in fear of Yahweh. The other reason death is recorded in the Bible is to show a life not lived in fear of Yahweh. And that's exactly what we have right here is that these guys, this family, these men of this family were being punished for their sinful lives. And this is where the beauty of the book of Ruth really takes shape in the midst of all the sin and disappointment, right? Because God issues this judicial death on Elimelech and the two boys. He, he buries them in a land far from their ancestors, amongst foreigners, around not with their family. And he leaves these three women widowed. This is a bad situation. Think about Naomi. She's in a foreign land as a widow. Back in that time when you, when you were widowed, there was, there was no means for you to have support. There was no social security system. There was no food stamps. There was no mail to take care of her. And her situation was even more dire because she was a stranger, an Israelite, living in Moabite territory. She knows she's in a bad situation. So she hears somehow, it doesn't, or it doesn't say how, but the, the Lord has started to lift the famine back in Bethlehem. So Naomi figures, you know what? It's better if I get out of this land of strangers and head back to where I left, back to my home in Bethlehem. And her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, decide that they're gonna go with her. Look what happens in chapter one, verses eight and nine. Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go back, each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in a home of another husband. See, what we see here is Naomi is blessing her daughter-in-laws, right? She even uses the word, the word she uses for kindness. She talks about that, that Ruth and Orpah's kindness showed towards her and her sons. The word is, the Greek or Hebrew word is called hesed. It's a, it's a loving, a deep compassion, kindness that, she, um, that they showed. And even though these two young women were Gentiles, she is so taken by the hesed that she showed towards them that Naomi blesses them in the covenant name of God, Yahweh. May the Lord bless you. They're Gentiles. May the Lord bless you. Because she's basically saying here, I can't take care of you. I have nothing to go back to. I have no way of caring for you. You gotta stay here. Trust that the Lord is gonna find a husband for you and that they can take care of you. Orpah heeds the advice and she goes back to friends, family, and familiarity. Ruth, on the other hand, responds differently. Look at verses 16 and 17 in chapter one. This is a, an amazing, amazing piece of scripture. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, 
I will stay. Your people will be my people. And get this, your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Do you see what's going on here? Ruth is willing to give up her God. She's willing to give up Chemosh. She was the God of the Moabites. Your God is my God. Now, we don't know the family circumstances on whether, whether um, Naomi wanted to go to Moab or not. We don't know what was going on there. But we can tell from the scripture that when Naomi was there, Naomi never gave up on God. Ruth is willing to follow her. Ruth is willing to give up Chemosh for Yahweh. So Ruth, Naomi had to be living this life that, was, that, that stood out. This life that, that looked different. This life that was upside down. Ruth was willing to give up everything. Her God, her family, her friends, her home. And get this, even a prospect of being married. Naomi had no sons. Her sons were dead. And remember what we read in Deuteronomy. Even as a believer in Yahweh, she was going to be an outsider forever. But she knew, she knew, and the Lord convicted her that her role and her step and her responsibility was to take care of her mother-in-law. And some of you probably just cringed by saying that. But Naomi knew it. She knew that that's what she had to do. And so they picked up and they go back to Bethlehem. Jump down to verse 19 and look what happens when they arrive in town. Still in chapter one. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they married, when they married, oh boy. <laughs> Strike that from the record, edit the video. I really do need greeting glasses, I think. So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? And look what she says. Don't call me Naomi. What did her name mean? Lovely and pleasant. Don't call me lovely and pleasant, she says. She told them, call me Mara. What's Mara mean? Bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. See, we see here that Naomi is not in a good place. She's bitter. She's angry at God. He took her husband. He took her kids. She used to be somebody. She went back to Bethlehem 10 years later and they still recognized her. She said, my life was full. Now it's empty and she's blaming God. Naomi is not in a good spot. 
Any of you there right now? That's where Naomi is. But who's by your side? Ruth. Ruth is right there with her. Compassionate, caring, dutiful. She's ready to do whatever it takes to serve and to care for Naomi. And that even means going out to the fields at harvest time to get food for them to eat. But hold on a second. I don't have any land. Where's the food coming from? Well, going back to God's law, God's law focuses so much on caring for the needy and the poor and the widows and the orphans that God has a provision in his law called the gleaning law. And every family that had property had to make the outskirts of their property available for the poor and needy to come in and pick up what was left. The harvesters would go through the property, take everything out, and the poor and needy was left to work the outside edges of the field to pick up the stuff that was unripe or left behind. And that's the way that the Lord provided. So Ruth does that, again, dutifully. She goes out into the field to do her work. Look at chapter two, verse three. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. I love this. As it turns out, like at some happenstance, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, I just love how God works, right? Ruth, every family had to make the edges of their property available. Ruth could have went out to any piece of property that was available around her and started to glean. But it just so happens she lands in the field that is owned by Boaz, who is related to Elimelech, which is who? Her old father-in-law from the beginning of the story. So what's the significance to that? Well, again, going back to the laws that are recorded in the Pentateuch, so a male member of the family had the privilege and the responsibility of caring for a widow or an orphan or the needy within their family. The word used, Hebrew word used, is goel. It's a redeemer. That, that, that they're supposed to redeem that person, redeem that widow, to care for them, to nurture them, and, and many times to take them as their wife. And Boaz took this responsibility seriously. And we think about what he does. He calls them in. He tells Ruth, don't go to any other field. Stay in my field. Stay right here. He tells his people, leave her alone. Don't mess with her. He gives her every opportunity where she can get everything that she needs to care for her and Ruth, her and Naomi. So going back and looking at this, we see this interaction now we got going on between Boaz and between Ruth. And Naomi is, just, Ruth is overtaken kind of by this this favor that's shown by Boaz. And look how Boaz responds when Ruth asks him, why are you doing this? Chapter two, verses 11 and 12. 
Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Right, there it is. Boaz, working in a field, before he ever knew Ruth, knew that Ruth was under the wings of the God of Israel. He knew that she believed in Yahweh. See, her reputation preceded her. Boaz knew about Ruth before she ever came to his property. Her life was so different that everyone knew what she had done. Everyone knew what she had sacrificed. And nothing that she did in the field changed that. She worked hard. She carried the harvest home. She shared it with Naomi. She didn't keep any of it for herself. She gave, she gave it to her. Now, once Naomi finds out that Boaz is the one that has taken the Ruth, Naomi's like, hey, wait a second. You need to get to know him a little bit better. You need a husband. And so Naomi gives her a game plan. And Ruth, being dutiful, listens. Ruth gussies herself all up. She puts on some perfume. She puts on her best dress clothes. Now she's not going to Juniper Grill, right? She's going to the threshing floor where sweaty Boaz is. So after hard day's work, Boaz lays down, covers himself with a garment and goes to sleep. And then Ruth, as instructed by Naomi, uncovers Boaz's feet. She lays at the bottom of his feet. And in the middle of the night, as he stirs, he realizes there's a woman here and he wants to know who it is. Look at chapter three, verse nine. Who are you, he asks. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Get this, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer right? Redeeming her. She knows she's in the family line, kinsman, family, redeem, kinsman, redeemer. Here's what's really cool about this. So the word used here for garment in Hebrew is the exact same word that is used back in the verse that we read in 2.12, where it says under the wings is the same word under the garment. So they're making the, the typology of Christ coming to protect the Gentiles is the way of Boaz protecting Ruth. That he, just as Yahweh had her under his wing, Boaz would have Ruth under his and care for her. And look how Boaz responds to essentially what is a marriage proposal by Ruth to Boaz, chapter three, verses 10 to 13. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. 
the kindness, right? The hesed, the loving kindness. Bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, and now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will, not do, I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Everybody knows what Ruth has done. Although it is true that I am near of kin, uh-oh, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if not, but if he's un not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here till morning. Now, if you're anything like me when I'm reading this book, I'm thinking, oh no, who's this other guy? He, he can't come in and ruin this beautiful love story that's kind of taking place here. But that's not God's plan. That kinsman redeemer that was near in line decides to, to deny Ruth and deny the, the family land and deny all of that. And we go on to read later that, that Ruth and Boaz do go on to be married. And not only are they married, they have a son, a son which she couldn't have before after 10 years of marriage. But now she has a son and they name him Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of whom? David. And David is in the line of whom? Jesus. So again, we see that God uses the unlikely of unlikely in the plan of his salvation for his people. God's sovereignty, his providence is, is so amazing in the story, if you think about it, that he takes a young married couple in Bethlehem, which is, which is like the epicenter of his people, picks them up, moves them to Moab. They had to go through Reuben. He didn't just move them to Reuben. He moved them out of Reuben, put them in the heart of the mortal enemies. He executes judicial judgment against the men, widows the women, picks up two of them, puts Ruth in Naomi's life, picks them up, places them back in Bethlehem, places Ruth in Boaz's field, has the near kinsman turn her down, marries them, opens her womb, provides a baby, and puts her smack dab in the middle of the line of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She is the definition of unlikely. That amazes me that he chooses Ruth as the central figure. She's the definition of it. This young Gentile woman in the land of enemies who has no hope, who has no future, but through her faith, through her loyalty, and through her love, God places her smack dab in the middle of the line of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what I want you to remember 
from the story. One thing I want you to remember, not five, not three, just one thing I want you to take from the story, and it's three words. God blesses obedience. God blesses obedience. Think about what Ruth did. She gave up everything for literally the promise of nothing because God had convicted her to take care of her mother-in-law. Can you imagine how hard that decision had to be for her? Give up her God, give up her family, give up her friends, give up her home to follow a destitute prostitute, not prostitute, destitute widow back to Bethlehem? But she had to just take one step of faith. One step is all she had to take. I imagine if she would have known the end game, it would have been a much easier decision, right? God, this is good. Ruth, go with Naomi to Bethlehem. When you get there, you're going to work in the field of Boaz. You're going to marry him, have a baby, and your son's son, grandson, grandson, grandson is going to save the world. She would have been like, oh, okay, I'll go. God doesn't work like that. And you know why I don't, he doesn't work like that? Because I don't think we can handle what God has in store for us. If we knew what he really wanted to do with us, we'd be on the closet floor shaking in our boots. But God gives us one step at a time. He just asks us, you know what? Do this. Let me worry about step two and step three and step 10 and step 200. I will take care of all of that. See, we could place these decisions in our life that seem insignificant at times. But you know what? Every step of obedience we have to take with the Lord is part of a big, beautiful mosaic that God is putting together to show off his glory, to show off his righteousness to a watching world. We don't get to see this big picture like this, but we all know God's working. And God chooses to do that through you and through me. In our job, in our role in that, and our responsibility in that is to take one step of obedience at a time. And we've got to trust God for the things that follow after. I know steps are different for us. God's got a different plan for each of our lives. Some of us men have to step up in an act of obedience and be the spiritual leader of our house and not sit by on the sidelines anymore. And some of the wives in here need to step up in an act of obedience and let their husband lead their home and trust the Lord that he's gonna make it work. He needs to take a step of obedience away from the sin in our lives. Take a step of obedience and maybe have to go to that different college than what you want to, but you feel the Lord leading you this way. 
then trust that God is going to work that out. Romans 8, 28. God works in all things for our good for those that love him. Our job is one step of obedience. We can't step then ask God to bless. We got to step in obedience to what the Lord is calling us to do, just like Ruth. Ruth had no earthly idea what was coming next. And the only thing that she did know was bad news. She knew that she would not be included in the assembly of the Jews when she got to Israel. She knew that. The law told her that. But she went. She was faithful. She was committed. She took a step of obedience. And each one of us has to do the same thing. That's what the Lord blesses. It's obedience. 